on the prequel to the 23rd episode, reviewing Solo, learning about epistolary novels, and previewing The Martian. Hello and welcome back to the prequel to the 23rd episode of This Film Is Lit. Got a few things on the docket for today, but first, we saw Solo. So let's review about it. We talk about Solo for a long time, so if you'd like to skip that, you can just jump right ahead to the 36-minute mark. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. Whoa. <laughs> L3! Let go of the mean man's face. Who are these guns? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might want to buckle up, baby. I think we, uh, at some point, we'll hit some spoilers for a minute because there are a couple things spoilery I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we get into spoilers, we'll just kind of give our general feelings on the film. We saw it uh, yesterday. It was all right. Eh. Yeah. It was probably, I was a little disappointed. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Overall, I was slightly disappointed. I didn't really have super high expectations, but my expectations had been growing uh, the more trailers I saw, the more stuff I saw, the more I thought, I, the more I liked, the more it made me interested, and the more finally said I watched it. It just lacked a little bit of a spark that made me really enjoy it. The thing that I noticed most was I I didn't find there were moments and 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 small glints of it, but I didn't ever have those big really fun moments that like I was expecting because I was expecting it to be a lot more fun of a movie Not, and it mm-hmm. is but I mean like I was expecting it to be much more much more of just like a fun like swashbuckling yeah ride which it kind of was but I, I I had issues with the tone at parts and what it was trying to go for felt a little weird and we'll talk about that in spoilers because there's one moment in particular to me, felt like it was supposed to play very dramatic, and I was like, wait, but it also, I was like, kind of laughing at it, and I couldn't decide if the movie wanted me to be laughing, or if it wanted me to be sad. And that's never a good thing. Yeah. And now, it could have just been me, but the way it played out, and we'll talk about it, because it's a very specific moment, in spoilers, but, um, but there were lots of things I liked about it. I thought, I thought Alden Ehrenreich did a good job, um, Kid who played Han Solo. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Uh, I really enjoyed the the droid L three. I thought she was fun. Um, the performances were all fine. Uh, story was kind of interesting. Uh, predictable, I think. Yeah. Very predictable. It's actually what I expected to happen in terms of where it went for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of figured out, and and was a little disappointed that it was as predictable as it was. For me, I I, I didn't I, I this the the beats of of when certain characters uh who back betrays who and who does what and that sort of thing <laughs> felt very obvious to me yeah and was a little disappointing because it was so obvious from like trailer one what was going to happen to some extent and I so I had some issues with that but overall it was okay like I I didn't dislike it I didn't I wasn't really bored. I just, I had, there was enough little things that I didn't enjoy and nothing really knocked me off my feet other than 
the promise of potential future things to come, which I found the most interesting, which we'll get into a little bit in spoilers. Uh, but yeah, just kind of meh overall for me. I um I don't think it was bad, Mm-mm. but I was not at all impressed by it. Yeah, I. I went in with zero expectations. I think I had maybe seen one trailer. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, I... I don't really care what Disney wants to do with the Star Wars universe. Right. I don't have any kind of huge stake in it. Yeah. Um. But... I always kind of thought that it didn't really make sense to give Han Solo... A prequel movie because he has a character arc in the yeah. original trilogy. So, like, what are we? I was a little cautious a about movie? that. Yeah, like, Go, yeah. <laughs> which is part of my problem with the film. But I also think they did an okay job of getting his character to a place that felt giving him a character arc in this movie, but also getting his character to a place where it didn't feel like him going into a new hope is doesn't make sense like where he is at the beginning of a new hope i felt to some extent translated fairly well and there's also like another five years or something like that or six years between the end of solo and where a new hope is so that was one of my biggest fears i also didn't really want a solo with the the backstory the 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 spinoff movies i want if I want them, I want, I'm interested in the Benioff and Weiss ones, the guys who did Game of Thrones. They have, they're doing their own movie series. Oh, yeah. The guys who wrote and directed Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, Ryan Johnson is getting his own three movie series set in the universe. I'm interested in what they're going to do because, one, I'm really hoping that Benioff and Weiss are going to do Old Republic, which mm-hmm. would just make a lot of sense for them. They've dealt a lot because the Old Republic, it's like thousands of years ago, it was like the, the peak of Jedi and Sith, and there's like huge wars between them and. So you um, want them to do Game of Thrones in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> basically, to some extent. And and, and it's a whole bunch, and I, I played the Old Republic video games, and now I don't want them to do the Old Republic, the game, the, the story from the Old Republic video game. I think just in that time period, which is probably what will end up happening. I don't think they're going to rehash the game story, even though it's great. Um, but I'm more interested in stuff like that that takes place in the universe and explores new interesting things in the universe other than yeah. giving us prequel, like, backstory for characters we know there are a few exceptions to that i really do want to see an obi-wan movie with uh which we're probably going to get with um what's his name playing him uh from the prequels uh, ewan mcgregor i mean sure but aren't the prequels kind of his backstory no well the, i what i want i just want another chance for you because i the prequels have a lot of faults and, and yeah. i like a lot of things about them but they also have a lot of problems namely for me it's like the writing the dialogue that was my biggest problems with them. I like some of the thematic elements and all that sort of stuff and some of the things they do, but it's just, there's so much cheese like that. It's, mm-hmm. I have a hard time watching the second and second one in particular, but the, also the episode three has moments where Hayden Christensen's not a really good actor. And the dialogue between him and Padme are, it's just some of the worst romantic dialogue ever written. And I, I can't not get that out of my head when I think of those movies. Um, as much as there is other stuff that I like in them, uh, but I really liked Hugh McGregor as Obi-Wan. I think he does a really good job. I think he makes perfect his, where he is in that movie and where he eventually becomes. I think he did a really good job. And I'd like to have him see me, Ewan McGregor, have another chance in a better film mm-hmm. to explore that character more. And I don't know when I would want it to be set. Probably 
in between episode three and episode four on Tatooine, him getting into some hijinks. I don't know. <laughs> but I'd be interested in that, and we're probably going to get that. It's yeah. the rumor. That it's, like, vaguely been announced, if not, it's not confirmed, confirmed yet. Um, See, and I don't know, just a, a backstory movie for any of the main characters from the original trilogy, I would have said, give me Leia. Like, give me her backstory. I think that would be more interesting. We have that in novel form, in the current canon. Okay. Um, Bloodlines, and uh, I've read one of them. Uh, Bloodlines, and it's just, it's not her entire backstory. It's not like her from a kid to, Mm -hmm. but there, and I think the other one might be called Leia. I can't remember what it's called. It might be called Leia. It was written by Claudia Gray. Bloodlines is written by Claudia Gray, and she also wrote another one, which I haven't read, um, which Bloodlines is about, uh, when Princess Leia is in the Senate and uh, everybody finds out that her father is Darth Vader, or mm. and there's all this drama mm-hmm. around the fact that uh, that she's the son of or the the daughter <laughs> of uh, Darth Vader, yeah. Um, and there's like all kinds of nonsense about it. Uh, it's really interesting. And that's not a prequel episode. When does that take place? No, that's sorry. That's a. That's not a prequel episode. That, that takes place, place after place Return after, of the Jedi. Yeah, it's when the newly formed Senate, um, or whatever their new Republic or whatever. It's it's it bridges between Force Awakens and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but it's all the political drama that was going on then. It's really interesting and it kind of sets up a lot of stuff for when people didn't know what was going on in Force Awakens because we never really see what's up with the new Republic. So there's that. There's some of that in novel form. So I guess there isn't a prequel. You're right. No, and I'm sure what Disney is doing is testing the waters. On these kind of um, single, yeah, like character backstory movies with one of their most popular characters. Yeah, that's that's why they did solos because right. it's an easy sell. And I mean, I'll, I'll grant audiences. you that Han Solo was probably a good choice from a, a, a genre standpoint because you yeah. could make an action movie. You can make an action western. Yeah, which yeah, they kind of did. Western, yeah, sort of. Kind of. Um, whereas uh, Leia would it would have to be like a political intrigue, yeah. court intrigue yeah. kind of a it thing. Would, it would be a much tougher sell. Yeah. But to general audiences. From a character standpoint to where they are in the original trilogy, I think it makes yeah. more sense. For us to see Leia's background because oh, I, she doesn't so much have an arc. No, in the original, not trilogy. as much. No, yeah, it would be way more interesting because Han. Part of what makes Han so appealing is you don't know. To some extent, he's just all you need to know about him is he's a smuggler. Yeah, he's a rogue. He's a rogue, and and you know there's some shady past there, but he ends up, you know, doing the right doing thing. the right thing. Yeah, and so they, without getting into spoilers, that's what they attempt to sort of lay a background to in this film. And I think they actually overall did a pretty good job. Like in terms of it's a tough sell for, cause I wasn't, I was prepared to be like, ugh, gross. like this yeah. doesn't work. I think it overall works. There's little bits and little moments that I didn't like in terms of, and we'll get into it in spoilers here in just a second that they, some choice. And I still can't decide if I like it or not. One in particular we'll talk about. I don't know if I like that. That's how that happened. But maybe I do. I don't know. I can't decide. But we'll talk about that here in a second. In the spoilers, because it's it is a spoiler, and I don't want to get into it necessarily. Um, but you know, I, I guess the biggest problem I had was just, yeah, I had a problem with the tone. Like, and mm-hmm. and and now they reshot most of this movie. They had different directors. They had the guys who did the twenty one and twenty two Jump Street movies. They yeah. famously were fired 
um, because they were deviating too much from the script, making it too much of a comedy. Um, and uh, Lawrence Kasdan and the guy who wrote it and his son, John Kasdan, were like, no, 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 we need more, stick to the script more. And there was all kinds of drama. And so they fired him, they brought in Ron Howard. And I think it feels a little bit like the movie couldn't, doesn't know exactly how silly it wants to be versus how serious serious because there are a couple particular moments where i'm like oh wait i start laughing and then i'm like no wait i'm supposed to be not laughing at this yeah. i don't know i'm not sure and it felt a little strange and ugh, it just didn't quite hit all the notes for me that i was looking for but it was pretty uh, it was all right fun it was probably a little overlong i think they probably could have trimmed yeah a little bit from the runtime in places because it I almost always feel that way about blockbusters now, though. Yeah, I, I go both ways because I, I, I always like longer stories. It's why, I, generally speaking, prefer TV to film these days. I, I just think you can tell more interesting, complex stories with characters in television than you can film can in film in an hour and a half. Um, and it just feels more natural because you're growing with the characters from episode to episode. Yeah. And so I always so like a longer movie gives you a little bit more time to do it, but it still doesn't feel like quite enough. And I just. It was a little plotting at times. Uh, I don't know. It was just okay. Like I, it was just fine. Like I, it was. It was probably my least uh, favorite of the new Star Wars films so far. Oh yeah. Like by a pretty hefty margin. Yeah. Um, I would put it below Rogue One, and I, I actually like Rogue One quite a bit. I know some people it, it gets mixed. All of them get mixed reviews now, yeah. but um, I liked Rogue One quite a bit. Uh, this one, yeah, it's just okay. It's just okay. So, I yeah, I want to get into spoilers for a few minutes and then wrap this up because we got to get into some a lot of other stuff. But uh, I like I'd give it a C. People who are I guess, this is one of those movies where everybody's going to go see it anyways because probably most people yeah. are going to go see it anyways that want to see it. Um, I think if you were teetering on the fence of like, ooh, should I? I would say you can wait and catch it rent on it. a rental or on Stream TV. It. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to, here's the thing, if you watch it on TV or anything like that, you're not going to lose anything in terms of, like, it's a PG-13 movie, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, there isn't a lot, like, like I, you know, seeing Deadpool on cable is a little different than seeing Deadpool in the theaters and that sort of thing, <laughs> but you're not really going to lose much, um, and it's, it is, there's some visually really impressive moments, but. I but think, I think not enough to no. make that ticket price worth it if you're not, if you're not already, already like, interested in going in. to see it yeah. in a theater. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, so yeah, like a C from me, like middling C. Yeah, Let's, I would say yeah, the same. Like a C, C plus maybe. Like fine, it was it was fun enough overall. Spoilers, real quick. To avoid spoilers for Solo, jump ahead to the thirty-six minute mark. So the the main moment that first off, let's talk about this. This was one of the things with sort of the tying the backstory to Han that I had a little bit of a problem with, and I still can't decide. Is when we find out. There was all this speculation before I listened to a lot of Star Wars podcasts and stuff like that. And and they, somebody had said before the movie came out that you're going to learn how Han Solo got his name. And now all the people on podcasts I listened to were like, that's not what they actually mean. They just mean you're going to figure like how the na- like how Han Solo came to be. Yeah. Not like how he got his name Han Solo. But we actually but we find do. out how he Literally. got his name Han Solo. And the, it's kind of a And that's why I couldn't decide. Initially, I was like, I hate that. That's stupid. So, so in the movie, uh, he's well, his name's Han, but in the in the movie, he goes to apply, uh, basically to get out of or to run away from getting grabbed by the authorities. He goes to join the 
uh, the Empire. Yeah, the Air Force. Because also he wants to become a pilot. Well, the Navy, but he wants to become oh. a pilot. Yeah, yeah. It's, there is no Air Force. It's the Navy in space. But yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, I guess. But he, uh, he, um, because he wants to become a pilot, so he's like, "I'll join the Navy and I can train to become a pilot." And uh, so he dies, and the guy goes, "What's your last name?" And he and he doesn't say anything. He goes, "You got any family or anything?" And he goes, "No, I'm alone." And then the the enlistment guy or whatever goes solo and writes in solo and here's the thing i initially scoffed real hard and was like really i don't like that but then i've thought about it and now i'm not sure i don't necessarily hate that where his name came from was some random imperial nobody just writing down a generic name. There's something to me about sort of thematically interesting about this name who's that has become super famous in the later movies. Like Han Solo. He is Captain Han Solo of the Rebellion. Like he is this huge figure. Mm-hmm. And I don't hate the idea that that name... That basically... Because it ties into the themes of, of, of him uh, growing up from very meager means and... And exceeding his uh, sort of origin, origin, mm-hmm. and his his poor. He was lived on a poor planet. He was basically a, not a slave, but it's like an indentured servant kind of yeah. type of thing. Uh, and who had dreams of, of escaping that and living a life, uh, you know, flying a freedom out in space, that sort of thing. I don't necessarily hate that of that sort of taking a name that the Empire slapped on him just on a whim. And then transforming that into something that becomes an inspirational icon for the rebellion. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can see that. I just, I felt like in the movie, for me, it was one of those like tonally dissonant moments where I wasn't sure if I was supposed to get a chuckle out of it or if I was supposed to be like, mop, mop. Yeah. There's the thing. I think they thought it was more clever than it was yeah. like because it it's weird it's, it was a little strange to me that the guy goes solo i'll put your name as solo because you don't have family like it just seemed like it's not the first thing you would think he would just put in like a generic like whatever yeah, the like, generic like whatever star the wars name of of Smith. Smith yeah is. you would think he would do that like yeah i don't know what it is in the star wars universe but you would think or maybe it's solo shit i don't know I mean, but he wouldn't say that yeah. You know, and so, like, it when, was... I mean, and then the other thing for me, too, is that, like, if that is, if it is supposed to be funny or whatever, it's also coming off of a really intense yeah. sequence. Yeah, because, yeah, it's, he gets separated from Kira. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's very, yeah. Like, it's a really intense, like, chase sequence, and then they get separated, so you're, like, in the middle of this kind of emotional moment, yeah. and then, then it's like, I don't know if you're making a joke at me or not yeah. in this moment. Yeah. See, I, I, honest, I honestly, I wonder if they did it two ways, but I don't, because I, I, I think I still stand by everything I said earlier. I don't hate it sort of being this thing, the Empire slapped on him, just, just some guy, like, whatever, and he turned it into, he, he exceeded that sort of just nothingness of the name but um i almost wish if they could have just done the same scene and just had han say yeah like solo like have a moment of inspiration like think about it for a moment 
and then just say solo, you know, like yeah. And it would have been cheesy, but it probably would have come off better than they would. It would have been tough to do. They would have had to figure out a way to do it, and and the, and the acting in that moment would have had to been spot on perfect yeah. for it not to be cheesy. But it still would have felt maybe better. I don't know. In the moment, I still don't hate it. I'm still torn because I feel like the knee jerk thing is just to hate it and I, I wanted to take a step back from just being like why, why do I hate why does my mm-hmm. initial knee jerk to hate this and think about it and I thought about it a little more and I'm like I don't know if I hate it I'm kind of still torn on it I could, I could be argued either way I don't I didn't love it initially and I think it is totally dissonant in the film but yeah. I think there is something to it that's kind of interesting I mean the, the tonal the tone thing is that's my bigger problem right. with it than any kind of like thematic or character building element. Yeah. My problem is more so the tone. Right. So on the on the thing of tone, this is the other big one of the other big spoilers uh, that I wanted to talk about. That this is one of the biggest moments that didn't work for me. That I wasn't sure how I was supposed to feel was when uh, after they go, it's in the, towards the end of the movie um, when they're on the planet getting all the the coaxium mm-hmm. uh from the mine or whatever and they're leaving and there's a big shootout like they started a rebellion basically a slave rebellion and there's a big shootout and they're leaving and then l3 the droid is leading the rebellion screaming and gets shot yeah and then lando like runs out screaming i the way he plays it and the way it plays out i started like is this supposed to be funny and then i'm like oh no this is not supposed to be funny yeah and I like started laughing and then stopped laughing and then was like, oh, okay, wait. So it's not, fu- no, it's not funny. But then it gets funny again because there's a shot of literally, which it's so strange because there's a shot where, so then Lando runs and grabs the droid and is like crying, holding the droid. And I'm like, oh shit. Well, and, and, and we kind of established their relationship and they're very close and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that worked to some extent, but then they undercut it because at least to me, it felt like an undercut something about it looks so silly is then Chewie comes and picks up Lando and is carrying yeah. Lando in his arms like a like a baby running back to the spaceship with Lando carrying the droid yeah and the this it was so the him crying in sadness was so dissonant from watching Chewie carry Lando like a baby that I was like am I supposed to be laughing or sad right now like what <laughs> I, I, I don't know and I I had an issue with a lot of the character deaths, too, because I felt like we didn't know anybody well enough yeah. to feel yeah. strongly when they died, especially like some of the other smugglers that he was hanging out with in the first half of Oh, that of the felt film. very strange. When I was they, like, I... I, I, I wasn't expecting them to die that early. Uh, the the uh, Her- Woody Harrelson's crew, um, his girlfriend and the, the pilot both die off in the first act. Yeah. And I was not expecting that. Mm -mm. And now I I get why they did it and I kind of get where it went and then um, with sort of Han becoming his crew then and they needed that so that Han could be the pilot. But yeah, it was so soon and I wasn't, it just, it was so sudden and and I wasn't expecting it and I didn't really know how to feel about it. I was like, because like you said, we hadn't spent much time with him. Yeah. We had known him for a scene or two. And I thought the pilot character was fun and interesting, and I was disappointed he died because I thought I liked his character. I thought he was interesting. Uh, the other, uh, the his girlfriend was, she had like two lines, yeah, and was I, just kind of his girlfriend. So, yeah, it, yeah, I don't know. And then the other, so the other thing I wanted to talk about spoilers was the ending, uh, which is what was the most interesting and exciting, and I was completely blindsided me. 
So in the animated series, it is canon that Darth Maul is alive. Yes. And now that so that is canon technically in universe, and that's but it has never made its way into movies, and that, that was super is fascinating. That, is that Rebels? Or it's, it is uh, Clone Wars Clone and Wars Rebels. And, okay. He's in both. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I believe the whole part where he so so in this movie at the end, uh, Kira uh, uh, he kills. Well, um, if you're listening, this is the spoiler part. But uh, she kills the. Um, the she head does, of this yeah, she does Crimson like a Dawn. triple cross. Yeah, almost. it gets a little it gets confusing weird. at the end. And I'm still not sure what her deal is, um, other than she's going to become a Sith, I guess. I guess. I guess. Um, or at least like a mob boss. And see, this is where it might be easier and make more sense if we had watched. Because I've watched four or five of the Clone Wars episodes, mm-hmm. and I've never got to the Darth Maul storyline and uh, I've never watched any of Rebels, but it is on my list, and I'm dying to watch it because I hear it's great. It just ended, I think, like series just ended like last month or something. But so in the in the uh, animated series, Darth Maul, when he gets cut in half in Phantom Menace and falls down the thing, survives right. and gets robot legs. Yes, uh, and is a major player in the Clone Wars animated series and in Rebels to some extent. Um, and I think he becomes not a Sith. I don't. I don't remember. Right, but the important thing is that that's now canon in the film universe. Yes, which it technically, all of the animated stuff is canon. It's just we've never seen that in the films, and there's never right. been any allusion to it in any of the films uh, that Darth Maul survived that. Um, but, so he shows up at the end of this, and I was like, holy shit. Like, he's he's alive, and he's part of this Crimson Dawn yeah. organization, and he says, Kira, you're going to be working more with me. And I think the implication is that and now again, I have people who know and who watch anime series, I don't know if he was still a Sith at how that ended or how that or where this falls in the timeline. It would obviously be after Clone Wars, right. but uh, maybe around the time as Rebels. I don't know. I don't know exactly when Rebels takes place. Um, but I was like, oh, so if she's going to become a Sith, that could be interesting. I want to see that movie where her like. With, as a Sith with Darth Maul. I don't know. Something, I just, because I, I like Darth Maul. He came out at the right time. I was like 12 when that movie came out, and he was my favorite part of that movie. I thought he was fucking awesome. And so I was like, oh shit, I want to see more of this. Like, that was the most interesting part of the movie to me when that happened, because I wasn't expecting that. See, at all. I, and I thought, and I guess it remains to be seen, kind of, um, whether or not they actually do anything with right. that. Right. If they don't because do anything with don't, it, yes. It's fan service, and it feels fan service-y to me. I, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying. If they don't do anything with it, then it, it's pointless, and it, and it leaves a lot of open. Like, because yeah. there's like that. That was the most sequel beta sequel, but or not sequel, but like spinoff slash sequel beta. Yeah. Um, I just really liked it because I liked that film can canonically uh or bringing darth maul with robot legs into the film canon was cool to me just because i've always liked darth maul and i liked that in the in the animated series that he was still alive um and so i was like ooh, i i could wonder what they can do with this i will say i thought it was really dumb and very fan servicey and and not even fan servicey it was it was fan ser- fans who don't know fan servicey fan <laughs> <laughs> fans who don't un- really remember who he is, fan servicey, that he for no reason turns his double bladed lightsaber on. Yeah. 
and waves it around a little bit just so the audience can be like, oh, yeah, that guy <laughs> oh, with yeah. the two lightsabers. Double lightsaber guy. Like, I'm like, why would he turn his lightsaber on? He's just having a conversation. <laughs> like, I thought that was so stupid. But um, I don't know. Overall, and it was, I will say this, it was a little out of left field. And and, and yeah. the, the motivations for Kira, while there's something to be said for um, mystery, her motivations were so confounding throughout the film that yeah, I wasn't really I, sure what well, her deal was. I've got a couple issues with her and some of like the plot elements surrounding her because this whole idea of like space mafia mm-hmm. basically isn't really present in the original trilogy like kind of yeah it is like it, the it huts, is the huts yeah but not to the, not to the no. extent that they make it seem like in this well i think like they make it seem like the that everything is just being run by these guys yeah to some, i think it's just something we never saw much i mean we got that the huts it just you didn't see as much of it in the original uh, trilogy i mean the hut the huts ran a, the criminal organization ran a huge amount of crime throughout the fucking galaxy and like and we we see them quite a bit in Return of the Jedi explicitly yeah but yeah they're not running things I guess the idea in this is that they're working that this Crimson Dawn organization is working with the Empire to some extent maybe I I don't know to me it just it felt like an element that they tacked on I would only disagree in that I know that in in novels and other things there's a lot and it's just it just wasn't the focus of the original trilogy but in the extended canon there is a lot to do with a lot of criminal organizations and the and the and and other smaller resistances and like groups that are fighting and all that sort of stuff there's a lot more going on than just the rebellion and the empire and like right. and it's just we haven't really seen too much of it in the in the canon movies to really know about it but I that doesn't bother me because I know it does exist and see, but then I, I mean, I still find that problematic because can I then enjoy this without having read any of the extended universe? Stuff? I think you can, because I, th- I would argue you can, because you just, all you need to know is just, just oh yeah. I mean, to me, it's just not weird that there's a crime organization that is doing criminal things. Like they're not running anything. They're just doing jobs. Like they're just, like going to planets and like stealing stuff and like they're just doing crime things. They're not. Yeah, I. I don't know. It didn't seem that strange to me. Okay. So here, okay, I'm gonna try to explain the issue that I have with this. First off, I kind of took issue with him having a love interest. A little. Who? Han Solo. Oh, I know. I think it it it, it, it makes sense, but it also doesn't. Because to me, in the trilogy, he doesn't read as someone who had his heart torn out, blah, blah, blah. I would argue he... To me, it feels very much like he definitely... Ah, the character he is, he's definitely had... I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think he definitely feels like a character who's, who's, who has a past of... I don't know. See, to me, he reads more of a, a, I don't know, a, a character who has a past, but maybe, like, not to this extent. Yeah, I guess I could see that 
the the sort of their uh, the fact that they grew up together and yeah. it's sort of like, like his... they have a long history together. Yeah. And then she double crosses him and flies off to become a mob boss. Yeah. Which I take issue with in that it implies that that should have been an element of his story later on, and it's not. Well, we have, you have to remember, there's six years between this and A New Hope or something like that. There's a long time between where this movie ends so then and is, A New Hope begins. Is the implication that there's going to be another Han Solo movie? Probably. They don't, I, I, again, I, they don't generally make these things with the thought of making one of them. Or, or or they're going to make a, a story about Darth Maul, and she's going to be in it, and then Han Solo's going to end up involved in it somehow. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Although I'm hoping that doesn't happen because you get rid into real tr- tricky places if Han Solo starts running into Jedi and, and Sith and stuff. Because at the beginning of A New Hope, he's very much not yeah. on board with any of that shit being real. Yeah. And so if he's like running into people that can use the Force, that's going to be problematic for <laughs> New Hope. But... Um, but there is a long time in between this and A New Hope. This isn't like six months before A New Hope happens. This is like six years before A New Hope happens. So even if he never sees her again, he has six years to kind of get over that and probably womanize a lot and then get to the point where he is in A New Hope. I don't know. It didn't. That... I don't know. I'm, for me, it just like added a lot of elements that I felt weren't present in his story later on and I found that bothersome. That's fair. I, I didn't think it did add too much. I, I, I thought his to me his past is enough of enough of a, a blank slate. Yeah. I, and I, we don't really just he's just so guarded that you don't really know any that it's a lot of shit could have happened to him and it wouldn't surprise me. I guess to me it felt a little bit like a weird kind of retconning and I I don't know, I just found it kind of strange. That's fair. I didn't feel that way. But. but like I said earlier, I never really thought Han Solo needed a one-off backstory movie anyway. I, so. I agree, too. I agree he never did it. I also agree that he didn't, but they did it, so it is what it is. I think my other, real quick, I think my other thing that I found a little disappointing was when they did the Kessel Run. And there's, again, there's things I like and dislike about it. They do the Kessel Run, which is the yeah. reference from A New Hope, where he's made the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs or tw- whatever. Uh, yeah, 12 parsecs because he rounds down from 13 or whatever. Um, and the implication is that he goes through a, a route that is more dangerous and yeah. impossible to do or whatever. But I thought it was interesting that he really only succeeds because they have all that fuel. Yeah. And that everybody else and that they have the robot head. And so I kind of like this. I kind of like the idea that Han... In in a new hope is like yeah I'm the best fucking pilot I made the Kessel run in twelve set or twelve parsecs, but leaves out the fact that he had all this help doing it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for a Han cut type character where he did, he leaves out the fact that yeah me and my crew like who had a shipment of super good hyperfuel and I had a, a robot head that you know had the best navigational system in the galaxy which allowed us to do all this stuff. Um, I kind of liked that, but I also kind of didn't like... I couldn't... I was kind of torn. I'm like, I wish he just had done it through his own pure piloting ability. But I also like that element of, yeah, he fucking had a lot of help. Of course he did. It would have been tough to do by yourself. But he leaves all the fact... The fact that he had help, he leaves that shit out. It's not... 
No, and the I mythos agree. of Han Solo, yeah. you know. I agree. I think it, it is more interesting and it potentially makes sense for his character. But it again, I think it does feel a little retconny. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the giant space squid octopus yeah, thing. I, I thought that, that was, was strange. But, that was weird. But, yeah. Anyways, eh, it is what it is. It was fine. <laughs> I'm more excited for other. It was the one I, of the spinoff movies. Is probably the one I was least interested in, anyways. As much as I like Han Solo as a character, uh, I, I'm much more interested in other stories told in this universe. Yeah. Even some more. Like I said, I, I mentioned in the Obi Wan movie. Don't give a shit about a Boba Fett movie. They're apparently making that. I don't know why they are. Of course are, they are. Of course so they are. But uh, yeah, it was all right. It was fine. Let's move on to learning things. With this film is lit. No matter what anybody tells you. Words and ideas can change the world. On today's episode, we're talking about the epistolary novel. Which is a term I didn't know about until the other day. But it is what The Martian, our next novel, is. It is an epistolary novel. Epistolary novel is written as a series of documents. Usually letters, famously the Pauline epistles from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, the epistles. Yes, the epistles uh, where Paul writes to everyone. Yeah. Uh, it's just epistle is just the Greek word for letter, so mm-hmm. epistolary novel, uh, novel made from letters. Right. Uh, well, it's an, I mean, it's a novel made up of different artifacts, so it could be letters. Yeah, it can also yeah. be, and I'm going on. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, epistle novels, they can also use diary entries, newspaper clippings, or other documents. Uh, in modern times, uh, they tend to use things like videos radio blogs emails Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i have a couple uh specific examples of that in ready player one uh there's an entire chapter that is just chat logs between Mm -hmm. parzival and uh artemis and then in speaking of artemis in andy weir's latest novel artemis there uh are several chapters and they're interspersed where it is um email logs between the main character and somebody on a different planet. Yeah, and it's just and we've we've done aside from Ready Player yeah. One, we've done a couple um, novels slash movies with yeah. epistolary elements. Um, Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda. We had emails. Yeah, The Princess Diaries is formatted as a diary, oh, although it? the movie completely abandons, abandons that, that yeah. element. Um, Gone Girl has letters and it has um, fake diary yeah. entries. Um, and I, I think you could potentially make an argument for Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah, I thought about that one. It's maybe not as strong of an example, but they do use the vintage photographs <laughs> the photos, yeah. as a major story element. So yeah. I think you could make an argument there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so some of them have more elements of it than others. Uh, the Martian is about 50 50, or mm-hmm. a little maybe leans more 60 40, 60% uh, epistles uh, or, or what have you. <laughs> In the Martian is the form of a digital journal. Uh, Mark Watney, the main character, enters record. He basically records everything he does into a journal in the computer, and saves all of his thoughts and stuff in the computer for NASA, so that they can see what he was up to while mm-hmm. he was stranded on Mars. So here's why I think the the format makes a lot of sense and is particularly effective in the Martian. Here's why I think it makes sense. One, Watney's an astronaut. Astronaut. <laughs> Watney is an a- Mark Watney, who's the main character. He is an astronaut and a scientist. Right. Uh, scientists write shit down. They write everything down all the time, especially astronauts. They <laughs> write things down. Uh, famously referenced by a quote by Adam Savage. Remember, kids, the only difference between screwing around and science is writing it down. So there you go. Um, two, he's alone. 
I would probably yeah. keep a diary as well. It's a practice insanity for him. <laughs> His journal allows him a modicum of like feigned social interaction mm-hmm. where, you know, he's writing and especially the way it plays out in the book, he's 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 almost he's joking at the expense of his other crewmates and it's you can tell it's definitely a a cathartic experience for him while he's dealing with this incredibly difficult yeah. uh <laughs> being stranded <laughs> on Mars thing. He uh, the the journaling definitely is a an outlet for him. So it makes sense in that regard. 3, he thinks he's going to die. Pretty much is probably going to die. Now he he also has very much the spirit of an astronaut and he's always trying to figure out then solve the next problem and figure out what how he's not going to die. But he also thinks he's probably going to die and so he wants to record what he was up to so that NASA can have it and use the information because he is a scientist and he wants he knows that you know he's doing a lot of crazy problem solving and a lot of wild engineering on Mm -hmm. mars and it could be incredibly useful for nasa to have this information so he writes it all down and records it all in his journal so that's why it makes sense and those are the three reasons to me why it makes sense to do it this way for the book why i think it works or why it's um, effective in my opinion is that we learn a lot about Whitney's character through these journals. Uh, he's written It's written first person, obviously, as a journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to see how he thinks. We get a feel for his sense of humor. Uh, we find out his taste in music. Um, we're, sit, we're there with him for all of his triumphs and failures, and it all comes through in his first person perspective and how he feels about all of this stuff. Also, I think it's very effective in this particular novel because it helps the reader feel isolated. We don't get anything other than watney's journals for the first almost 60 pages of the book you spend the first 60 pages explicitly on mars reading his journals of what he's going through trying to survive right so it really limits our perspective it limits our perspective we're stranded on mars with him basically mm-hmm. uh, for the beginning of the book it provides provides us with the same level of hopeness hopelessness that watney's feeling we don't know what's going on on earth we don't know what anybody else is up to we only know what he's doing and how he's trying to do it. And it's not, like I said, until 60 pages in that we finally get to Earth and to figure out uh, what other people are up to. So, here's the assignment if you're going to watch The Martian. <laughs> <laughs> um, those reasons we talked to, I just talked about of why I think it makes sense and why it works in the book. See how well that translates to the film. That's one of the things I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Does it still make sense? Does it still work? How do they translate a written journal to the visual medium. It's pretty obvious. I remember how they do it. And it makes perfect sense. Uh, in, in this instance, I believe they use video journals, basically. So that's that's one way to do it. So kind of see and see if you think it still works the same way. Now, they obviously don't translate it. The movie does not stick exclusively to the epistolary format while on Mars in the way the book does. And that's because of, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. It, we We want to watch him do things and not, just have him talk about the things he did. You know what I mean? (laughs) In a movie, we want to watch him going out on Mars and doing all these things. We don't just want him talking to a camera going, well, today I went out on the surface and I did this and that and that. So uh, it changes in that regard. And I was trying to think of, are there movies that are exclusively the epistolary format? And I could only think of a couple. And, And I think there's an argument to be made that every found footage movie... Is an epistolary? I think that's probably the best argument you can make because if an epistolary novel is a novel made up of different Journals artifacts, and, yeah. then 
an epistolary film would be a film that's supposedly supposedly made up yeah of it doesn't have to be yeah. real obviously or it doesn't have to be you know fit non-fiction right, but so yeah i mean fiction you know yeah so <laughs> so films like paranormal activity cloverfield uh there's a movie called buried which mm-hmm. is really interesting uh with ryan reynolds uh all takes place in one location through a video camera or wait no that one isn't i don't believe don't believe it's a camera that he is it? No, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> it's been years since I've seen it. I can't remember if the camera exists in the universe or if it's we're just or if it's just the audience's yeah viewpoint viewpoint. I can't remember now, but um, so that one might not be. But yeah. specifically in like Cloverfield and Paranormal Activity, mm-hmm. like something like the Blair Witch Project or the Blair Witch Project. Uh, everything we see is a camera that exists in the universe of the film. Right. We're watching it through a camera that one of the characters is carrying or or set up or what have you. So those, I think, uh, yeah, a found footage film mm-hmm. is probably the closest analog to a pure epistolary novel, like oh, where it's yeah, just journals or just yeah. letters or that sort of thing. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, and like I said, even the Martian, like the book isn't, uh, whenever we're on earth in the book, it's not an epistolary format. It's just, uh, yeah, I think it's hard to do. Like yeah. a purely epistolary. Yeah. Um, and you definitely see it more frequently in children's literature. Yeah. Like I read a lot of um, like Dear America books and Royal Diaries books growing up. Um, and those are purely epistolary. They're journals. But yeah. they're also under 200 pages and right. very simplistic. <laughs> yeah. All right. You got anything else on epistolary novels before we move on to the preview? Uh, nope. All right. Cool. Let's talk about... The Martian. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Martian's dead. We have to go. Now you can either accept that, or you can get to work. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates. And to NASA. And to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. Uh, Let's preview the book here. Uh, The Martian is a 2011 novel by Andy Weir. Uh, It was his debut novel. uh, Originally self-published. Really? uh, In a very interesting way, which we'll get into. Uh, Crown Publishing bought the rights and re-released it in 2014. Weir is the son of a particle physicist, and uh, his background is in computer science, which is why he goes so into depth with all the math and mm-hmm. science and that sort of thing. So he began writing it in 2009, did a ton of research, because uh, he wanted it to be as realistic as possible. This is what I would classify as hard sci-fi mm-hmm. to some extent. He studied orbital mechanics and astronomy and space flight and all that kind of stuff. He was so going back to the self-published. He was turned down by agents uh, a bunch of times. Eventually, he decided he would just publish the book online. He had published it as a serial, chapter by chapter, mm-hmm. on his website for free. Hmm. Uh, and eventually, it got downloaded so much, started blowing up so much. Eventually, people begged him to make a made a make a Kindle version of it, and he made a Kindle version and sold it for ninety nine cents, and it sold thirty five thousand copies in three months. Wow! And then that's when. The publishing companies came in and bought the rights and sold Wait, the how'd you and... like to be one of those agents that turned him down? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, he was a re- it was self published online for free, just handed it out, and enough people read it, and they're like, yeah, give us a Kindle version, and he sold thirty five thousand copies of it in three months. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, 
Uh, and then, yeah, and like I said, Crown Publishing bought it, and it's, it was a New York Times bestseller, and spent a bunch of time. The the, the paperback release spent like a long time at number one on mm. uh, New York Times. Two, two other short little things. Uh, he knows the exact date of each day in the book, Andy Weir does. Like, of when everything happens in the book. And that's for a reason to do with the science, is that uh, the dates all line up because of launch windows and that sort of thing. So this mm. takes place in 2035, I believe. And he basically just went to the calendar in 2035 and looked at when the... Because you launch missions to Mars on certain times of the year when the planets are in the right position, where Mars and Earth are in the right position so that you can use like the least amount of fuel possible to get there. Uh-huh. It's the fastest way to get there. That sure. sort of thing. Like the most direct route. Yeah, basically. Gotcha. So he knows because he lined up when their missions take place based on when the Earth will be in actual positions in the year 2035. So he knows exactly what date of 2035 all of this stuff happens. So when we hit 2035, dedicated. you'll be able to go through the book. You can read the book <laughs> in real time, uh, day by day as it goes. So, last fun fact: my mom loved this book. <laughs> I bought oh, it that's for your fun fact. Yeah, I bought it for uh, after I read it, and she read it and very much enjoyed it. So. Awesome. I have some movie things. Uh, the Martian, 2015 science fiction film directed by Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. uh, starring Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, and a slew of other famous faces. Oh, it's got a hell of a cast. Yeah. yeah. The film was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It unfortunately didn't win any of them, but... Then-President Barack Obama named The Martian among the best science fiction films he had ever seen. And astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson Mm -hmm. has said that this is the most accurate film in regards to astrophysics and how Mars would be inhabited that he had ever seen. So, no awards, at least no Academy Awards, but... um, some pretty cool praise from yeah. cool people. <laughs> I think I didn't write it down, but I think Andy Weird won a Hugo for this. Oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty that, sure. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, so most of the movie was filmed in Budapest on the world's largest soundstage. But the external scenes were filmed in Wadi Rome, which is located in Jordan. Mm-hmm. It's also known as the Valley of the Moon, and it's been used in several other films, including Lawrence of Arabia, Red Planet, Rogue One, and Brian's favorite movie, Prometheus. Prometheus. I'm sure, I, I knew I was going to say that as soon as you said other films, I'm like, well, considering Ridley Scott made this movie, uh, I'm going to go out and live and say, yeah, same place as Prometheus. Yep. Um, a real potato farm was installed in the studio lot with potatoes in all stages of growth. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a. Yeah, it's it's a, one of the main. It's an actual potato farm. They yeah. didn't just half-ass it. No. Well, yeah, they would have had. To, well, I don't know if they would have had to, but they. Yeah, it's one of the main things in the book is growing potatoes. So <laughs> it was an important <laughs> element that they had to get right. Um, NASA did assist the filmmakers with depicting science and technology. Um, A little more so than usual for other films, apparently, um, because they saw potential for promoting space exploration. Um, And it ended up, time-wise, lining up in a pretty cool way, because if you'll remember, um, September 28th, 2015, which was four days before the scheduled release in the U.S. for this movie, NASA announced that it had found evidence that briny water still flows on the surface yeah. of Mars. So that ended up, you know, kind of lining up 
in a cool way. Seems like an awful coincidence. <laughs> um, so Drew Goddard wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. for this film, and he at one point was also going to direct it. Yeah. But he left to go direct The Sinister Six, which I have no memory of. I have not seen it. <laughs> so after that, um, Ridley Scott read the script, and he jumped into the project, abandoning his Prometheus sequel. Yeah, which... Uh... Uh, I didn't see it. It was, um, it came out. It was called Alien, uh, Isol- not Isolation, Covenant. Oh, that's what that was. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that was supposed to be a sequel to Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's got what's-his-name in it, the same robot. Same, same robot, Yeah, dude. Michael Fassbender. Interesting. Ridley Scott did end up going back and directing Alien Covenant. It just came out a couple years later. The exterior Martian scenes were shot at a slower speed to stimulate to simulate <laughs> Mars's gravity. <laughs> which maybe stimulated. Too. Maybe too, maybe. Which is thirty eight percent of Earth's gravity. Mm-hmm. Um so anything on the surface of Mars would appear lighter and have a slight bounce to it. Um, however, um, I'm about to I'm about to give a fact that I don't understand, but maybe you'll understand it. Yep. What have you Sorry, done? Nothing. Continue. Uh, the frame rate that was desired would not allow the cameras to run in sync. So to negate that problem, the film was shot at 48 frame per second during exterior scenes, which was then sped up to the standard 24 frame per second rate. Um, which also meant that much of the audio had to be re-recorded in post. Yeah. So as a result of that, um, syncing up the audio along with um, Matt Damon's lips hmm. would have been impossible. So that's why Ridley Scott chose to have him like voiceover narrate a lot of scenes instead of having him talk inside the suit. Well, it also just makes sense because it makes sense with the book. I mean, yeah, it, it makes like it feel like a, more like a that journal. epistolary yeah. journal element. Because he doesn't really talk out loud too much in the book. I mean, he does some, but yeah. at least I, I don't know if we ever know because we're always reading his journal, so I don't know if he ever does really. Like in the mm-hmm. whenever we're never there watching his actions, like from a third, like from an omniscient yeah. uh, narrator. So it's yeah, I don't know if he's talking out loud. So, but yeah, they shot it at 48. You said they shot it at 48 and then slowed and then it down to 24. And they slowed it down to 24. Yeah. I mean, that, and that the outside, is this the thing where they were shooting it for the, to make it look more like Mars? Yeah. yeah. To make it look like more like Mars gravity. Yeah. yeah they shot it at double speed, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they shot for, yeah. Because if you shoot something at twice as many frames, you can slow it down to the standard, you can run it at half speed. Mm-hmm. So when you shoot something at 48 frames, you can run it at 24 frames, which is what, or 23.97 or whatever, which is what a normal movie runs at. And it, you can run it at 50% speed at 24 frames, and it'll look just as... If you run 24 frames per second that you shot at half speed, mm-hmm. it'll look very stuttery because you're mm-hmm. missing information, basically. Whereas if you shoot it at 48 and then slow it down to 24, which is half the speed... Uh, it still looks just as smooth as if it was shot at 24 frames per second, but now it's running at half the speed, so it... So it looks it slow. Looks, it looks... It's slow-mo, but it's slow-mo that looks just as smooth as... Okay. If it was running in normal time. Because basically when you take normal... If you're shooting at 24 frames and you slow that down, you're missing a lot of data, basically. Mm-hmm. You're, like, having... 
you're having to extrapolate from less pictures, basically. Because all that is, when it says frames per second, that's 24 pictures per second. Right. Um, and when you shoot at 48 pictures per second and then slow it down halfway, you still get just as many pictures per second, but it's but, slowed down. Okay. Now this point, all right. So. That makes sense. So my last fun fact, um, Matt Damon... He plays our protagonist, whose name is Mark Watney, Mark Watney. as we said. Um, Mark is the English version of the Latin name Marcus, which means of Mars. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, uh, I'm excited to watch this again and compare it. I read the book before I saw the movie for the first time. Rereading the book now. there w- I will preview this. There were a few things, one change in particular that I was very unhappy with. All right. But it's just, other than that, it's from, I don't want to go too far in, but from what I remember, it's a pretty good adaptation. Like a fairly good adaptation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they couldn't fit every, there's a whole lot of math and science in this, and like calculation that would be tough. They do a fairly good job of translating that. Yeah, it's a pretty good adaptation, but I remember one thing towards the end of the film that I was very not happy about. And it felt like such a Ridley Scott thing. <laughs> so we'll, uh... All right, so to be sure to tune in next yeah. week to find out what that thing is. Yeah. So very much at the climax of the film, there's a thing that I was like, no, why did you do that? <laughs> so uh, we'll see if, if I still feel the same way I'm feeling. Betting I will. <laughs> so until then, uh, that's it. Next week, The Martian. The end. <laughs>